Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. No surprise here, but you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I would be lost without my smartphone. I use it for directions, to find things to do, and most importantly, where to eat. I rely on it as a digital music player to enhance my experience as I explore a new place. Oh, and sometimes I even use it to make calls and stuff. That's the kind of traveler I am. And if you travel, you know what kind you are, too. That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Bellette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And I see, sitting across from me as he typically is, I think... I can't tell. I don't have my glasses on, but I think it's senior writer Jonathan Strickland. She'll be the same, except for bionic eyes. She lost the real ones in the robot wars. <laughs> nice. Thank you. Yeah, today we're going to talk about laser eye surgery. Uh, we've had some people ask us about laser eye surgery and what goes into it and exactly how are lasers used in the process. Well, I, th- I think that's a record for your use of that version of lasers. Yeah. Uh, and so we're going to, uh, we're going to kind of break it down and talk about what goes into a laser eye surgery procedure. And we should also mention, uh, I, I should mention mm-hmm. that I am very close to someone who has had laser eye surgery. Not right now, not like physically. Yeah, but, I was going to say. My, my wife, my wife had laser eye surgery. Um, and, uh, she has been very happily moving around without the u- need for glasses for several years now. Um, and it was very impressive to me because my wife is not the sort of person who typically likes people, uh, you know, 
messing with her eyeballs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She that's not high on her list of things to do today, but she did it anyway. And uh, we're gonna kind of talk about the process and what you have to do in order to get laser eye surgery and what's actually being done to you. Yeah, and I think probably the best place to start is speaking of eyeballs with the eyeball itself. Yeah. And uh, why you might need laser eye surgery in the first place. Right. Uh, to, to, to understand this discussion, you have to have at least a basic uh, geography of the eyeball. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the eye. Mm-hmm. So, so your, your eye, the outer coating is this sort of tough outer coating called the sclera. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what keeps the eyeball in its shape. It's, it's kind of the, uh, the, uh, well, it's just, it's the outer layer. And then part of this outer layer, about, I think, one sixth of it, is the cornea, mm-hmm. which is the clear outer layer that goes over the part of your eye where light actually passes through to get to, you know, your eyeball. Right. Mm-hmm. So the cornea is, uh, the, uh, it's kind of like a window in a way. Or if you want to think of it like a, um, uh, a tablet device or something, it's the gorilla glass <laughs> that's on the outside that protects the, the, the innards. And then, uh, behind the cornea, well, first of all, you got this sort of a watery, clear liquid called, uh, the aqueous humor. <laughs> yeah, this goes back to the old humors, mm-hmm. uh, uh, idea that dates back centuries where we used to think that, uh, our bodies were were de- like, were governed by a well a small group of of uh, various liquids called humors. Yes, uh, we've somewhat developed beyond that at this point. Although I, I do think it's it's funny that even now we are referring to this particular liquid as a humor. Yes. So uh, so the aqueous humor it's it's this clear, clear liquid that's uh, behind the cornea. It's also in front of the iris, and there's a little bit behind the iris as well. So then that leads to the question, what then is the iris? Well, that's the uh, that's the color part of your eye. So, for example, my iris is blue mm-hmm. because it lacks uh, a certain amount of pigmentation, which makes it a blue color. My wife's eyes are brown. And uh, this is the part of the eye that acts as like an adjustable diaphragm around the pupil. So the pupil is the that's the the dark center of your iris. That's the little opening actually that allows light to pass through. Right, and of course that's the part that that uh, enlarges or gets smaller depending on the amount of light in the room. Yeah, it, it it's it's an it's really an ingenious kind of a approach. Really, it's it's the same sort of thing that we do with cameras when we have an aperture. Mm-hmm. You know, the aperture of a camera, and you may remember this if you listen to our our podcast about slow motion. We talked about the aperture quite a bit. Uh, that's what allows you to adjust how much light comes in through the camera's lens and hits the sensor. Uh, same sort of idea here. The iris is what. Uh, will expand or contract around the pupil and thus uh, control the amount of light that comes in. So if you walk into a dark room, mm-hmm. then the, it's going to, the, the iris is going to uh, allow more light to pass through. It's going to allow more of the pupil to be exposed so that you get more light so that you can maneuver through because, you know, you're going to be able to, uh, you need to be able to see. If you're in a really bright environment, in order to protect the eye, the di- diaphragm is going to close around the pupil to restrict the amount of light that comes in. Right. And, of course, um, there there's more than one um, analog as far as the eye and a camera. Sure. We were talking about uh, cameras not too long ago where we, we talked about the lens and how light passes through the lens to the film 
on the other side or or an inner image sensor in the case of a digital camera. Sure. Well, on the eye, you've got uh, the retina, yeah. which is, um, if you will, on the on the back side of the eye, which is what records the image as it as the light comes through the pupil. Right. You've got uh, you've got the pupil. That's the aperture. You also have a lens right behind the pupil. Right. So mm-hmm. the le- the lens is what is focusing that light, directing that light so that it, it hits the focal point. Ideally, which is the retina. And uh, the retina contains certain kinds of, of cells, rod cells and cone cells. These are light censoring, uh, light sensors, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. These cells sense the presence of light and uh, uh, through a chemical reaction, send that information to your brain. And then your brain says, hey, I recognize that. That's a puppy. <laughs> also, an uh, interesting point, if you weren't familiar with this. Uh, the image that you see uh, when you're looking at something, when it hits your retina, it's actually inverted, mm-hmm. just so, as it is in a camera. But yes, that's the so these this is the basic part of the eye. Now, what happens when something is just not quite right? For example, uh, Chris, I, I don't know. Are you nearsighted or farsighted? I am myopic. I I am also myopic. That means we are both nearsighted. And since we both have our our glasses off at the moment, we're both a little blurry. Yeah. So myopia means that uh, the focal point is hitting uh, – it's it's hitting before it gets to your retina. So inside your eye, there's a – you know the, the light is being directed by the lens to your retina. Uh, those – the points of light are all converging, right? Mm-hmm. And that point of convergence is the focal point. Now, the focal point for those with myopia uh, is in front of the retina. Mm-hmm. It's not hitting the retina just right. So that means that – when we start looking around at things, things tend to be the, – the further away things are, the blurrier they tend to be. Yes. Um, now, this can happen through various uh, just, well, irregularities. There mm-hmm. could be irregularities in the cornea that can cause this to happen or in the lens itself. Or it could be that the eyeball itself is elongated. Yes. So that the – you know, if the eyeball was not elongated, the focal point would be right there on the retina where it's supposed to be and everything would be fine. But the eyeball has been – Stretched. Nice sound effect. Thank you. Uh, doesn't necessarily Foley by Jonathan Strickland. Doesn't necessarily mean that someone's actually gone in there and stretched your eyeball. It just means that that's kind of the way it, it developed. Um, now, farsightedness, which is uh, hyperopia. Hyperopia. Thank you. I'm glad you were ready for that one. I was ready. Uh, yeah, hyperopia. You've got the focal point that's that's actually behind the retina. So when the light's hitting hitting the retina, it's not converged on that point like it should be. And uh, hyperopia, if you're hyper hyperopic, would that be correct? I think so. Hyperopic, then that would mean that uh you know you would the 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 closer something is, the more out of focus it is. The further away it is, the clearer it is. Also, in addition to being myopic, I I also have an astigmatism. I too have an astigmatism. I think he's just, just, you know, doesn't want me to have one more than he does. I, I uh, only have one. Do you have two? Well, no, I'm saying. <laughs> Are you I'm both myopic and have an astigmatism. Okay. Me too. Me too. It's just, it happens to be a fact. One upsman. Okay. Uh, anyway, in, in an astigmatism, um, you have a difference in the shape of your cornea mm-hmm. or the lens. And basically what happens is it creates, uh, in effect, two focal points within your eye. Yeah. Um, and so basically that 
sort of confuses the way the light is traveling inside your eye. And that um, you can have, as we were both pointing out just a moment ago, you can have uh, an astigmatism on top of another eye condition. Yes. Yeah. It's um, it's really an uneven curvature yeah. of the cornea or, or lens. And yeah, it's it it can cause problems. So the thing is that uh, the humans are clever. Somewhat. And, um, yeah. And we figured out a long time ago that if you use a a lens of glass and it's curved just the right way, the curvature of the, the glass can direct light so that it corrects for these problems. Now, I can't imagine the amount of uh, trial and error it took to be able to figure this out. But uh, – to correct your your vision, you have to you know take into account what the the focal point is doing uh, inside your eye. So with it's a little bit different between myopia and uh, and uh, hyperopia. But anyway, the curvature of the lens depends upon the condition, right? You mm-hmm. know, if it's going to be a concave lens for one and a convex lens for the other. And honestly, I can't remember the one from the other. I guess I could stare at my glasses long enough and try and figure it out, but. Um, but the point being that that's what's going to direct the light the right way into your eye so that uh, it corrects for whatever problem you already have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, of course, well, what if we didn't want to wear glasses? What if we wanted something where it wasn't, you know, uh, this, this pair of frames sitting on our face? Well, that's when we started to come up. Well, well, we could maybe make a lens that could sit directly on the eye. Mm-hmm. And do the same sort of correction. Yes, it's going to require uh, a, a more precise uh, approach because it's going to be a much smaller lens. That, uh, by definition, I mean you can't have an enormous lens shoved into your eye and expect any sort of comfort. So uh, well, that's where the contact lens idea came from, where we started to kind of get you, you apply these same kinds of thought to a uh, a thin lens that could fit directly on top of the eye. But then we thought, hey, wait a minute. Uh, we're really just talking about lenses here. Even even the cornea can act somewhat as a lens. The cornea on your eye itself directs light. So what if we were to reshape the cornea so that it corrected for whatever problems we had as a, you know, as far as vision problems are concerned? Uh what if we just did that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then we wouldn't have to wear contact lenses or glasses or anything. And that's where the idea for uh, corrective surgery comes from. Mm-hmm. And um, and at its very most basic level, what corrective – what this laser eye surgery is doing is it's altering the shape of the cornea so that it directs light in a way that corrects for whatever vision problem you have. That's That's the basic – you know, when you get down to it, that's what laser eye surgery is all about. Right. So it's just, it's that same principle behind grinding a lens so that you can see, you know, in a pair of eyeglasses, but now it's applied directly to our biology. Right. It sadly does not mean you will actually end up with laser shooting out of your eyes. Well, at least not for most people. No, no. I, I would think that's a pretty rare side effect. <clears throat> So, yeah. where would you like to start with laser eye surgery? Well, I was going to talk about sort of the, the process you have to go through before you get laser eye surgery done, and then we'll get into what is actually going on in a uh, a laser eye surgery session. Yeah, because frankly, it's, it's it reminds me of a lot of life events 
you know, the actual event itself doesn't really take all that long. Laser eye surgery only takes a few minutes. Yeah, it can, to be honest. it can take less than half an hour total. Um, but there is quite a bit of preparation that need that you need to go through. Yes. Uh, beforehand to make sure that everything goes smoothly. Um, and preferably not panicky, which is the reason that I haven't had it done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing you have to do is you have to go through and, and we're talking about a reputable laser eye surgeon. This is a good time for us to point out there are a lot of different uh, facilities out there that offer laser eye surgery services. Mm-hmm. Do your research. Yes, that's a great idea. Because uh, I know for a fact that there are there's a few in Atlanta that have a reputation for being less than uh, honest. Yeah. Like, like they'll they'll what they'll, they do is they'll offer this amazing sounding deal and of course we all know the phrase it sounds too good to be true. It was probably on the internet. Um, <laughs> nice. And the deal, the deal would be something like two hundred and ninety nine dollars an eye, which is about a tenth of what some eye surgeries cost. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're thinking, wow, that's amazing. And then you know, it's got an official sounding name, and that's going to be great. And then if you actually start doing some research, you'll see that there's often a lot of bait and switch involved, where you'll go in and they'll do this uh, initial. I exam and then they'll say, oh, well, in your case, because you have this particular, you know, condition or whatever, it's actually going to be closer to 1500 per eye. Mm-hmm. Or, and, and just that alone is a, you know, first of all, that's kind of a shady business practice. But beyond that, you don't want, you know, you don't know how far their ethics extend into, say, not being a good doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so in other words, wow. do your research. Yeah, quack alert. So, assuming that the the facility has got a good reputation, uh, you go in, you would get a very thorough eye exam. Probably more thorough, in fact, I would argue definitely more thorough than you would get going to just get a pair of glasses or contact lenses. I'm sure, yes, because they have to be they have to be very careful. Um, if you're going to go for uh, for LASIK, for example. Um, your eyes have to fall within a certain set of parameters. I mean, yeah. they can treat uh, myopia, hyperopia, and astigmatism, but it has to be within a certain range. Uh, now, of course, that's measured in diopters. Yep. Um, that's that's kind of the degrees of prescription. So, you know, if you hear someone mm-hmm. say, oh, I've got minus 3 in this eye and minus 2.75 in that eye. They're myopic. Yeah, they're myopic. Yeah, that um, a negative number means myopia. A positive number uh, is uh, hyperopia, mm-hmm. and then um, astigmatism can go either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now we we do have a, a great article on how LASIK works on the website, um, and according to the research in there, um, myopia treatable with LASIK can be from negative zero point seven five to negative ten, which is that's a big that's range. a big range, and and uh, I should also add that depending on which doctor you go to, they may tell you that if your eyesight falls within. You know, a certain range, like saying, let's say the the negative point seven five to say negative one point five. They might say, you know what, the the experience you're going to have, the the new yeah. vision you're going to have, is may not be so dramatic as to warrant laser eye surgery. Again, a reputable uh, clinic is going to tell you if the the uh, result is going to be truly noticeable or not. For some people, it may not be. Uh, I for at least. Years ago, when my wife got it done, I was right there on the, the border. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, I could have gotten it done, but it may not have been that dramatic. And when you're talking about that kind of expense, really, do you want to go in for that? My wife, however, 
she had gotten to the point of vision where they no longer use the eye chart. They would say, how many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> so she was an ideal candidate. <sighs> well, you have to hold some up. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like, whoa, you need some surgery. Hyperopia that they can treat with LASIK uh, ranges from plus 0.75 to plus 4. And then they can treat astigmatism for plus or minus 0.75 to plus or minus 4. Yeah. Um, so that's a pretty a pretty decent range of vision that they can they can correct. Right. Um, they also look at a, the cornea thickness. It yep. has to be 500 microns or greater. Right. Um, that's, we'll explain why the cornea has to be at least that thick coming up. And that's going to be the, the squiggly, squirmy part where we're both like, okay, so here's what happens next. I'll be going out <laughs> for Chris, some water. Chris, Chris might, Chris might go bye bye for about, for about five minutes. What was that thud? Yeah. Uh, but there are that? other types of laser eye surgery that you can pursue if your cornea is not of that thickness. If it's, mm-hmm. if it's thinner than that, there are other types of laser eye surgery you can look into, so to speak. Right. Golly. Um, and then your pupil, uh, should be no, uh, more than 6.5 millimeters in diameter. Yeah. Um, although, you know, there are advances now, uh, that allow you to work with up to 8.5. Um, also. So if you're Vin Diesel from, uh, that, that movie where he's got those huge cornea, or, uh, the, the huge pupils that just wouldn't work. Lady Gaga from that, that one video. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, those, those folks, I'm yeah. sorry. Or practically any, uh, Disney character. <laughs> Because, I mean, have you seen Tangled? That girl's eyes are huge. Yeah, Sailor Moon's not going to have it done either. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and also, uh, if you're pregnant, have heart problems, severe heart problems anyway. Um, if you're taking drugs such as uh, medicine for migraines or acne, um, you have a, a condition called uh, keratoconus. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right. I didn't check the pronunciation, but that's a uh, thinning of the cornea yeah. condition. And um, actually, I might be uh, I might not be eligible either because uh, certain uh, conditions like autoimmune diseases, one of which I have, um, vascular disease, different kinds of eye diseases and diabetes, all these things might prevent you from going through with a LASIK procedure. Hmm. Um, so these are things that the doctor is going to have to talk to you about. Yeah. Um, so, and so I would encourage you to be honest. Your medical history. Yeah, you need to be honest too because, sure. you know, even though you may not want to wear glasses, uh, you know, this is serious business and yep. you, you could end up with results that you are not happy with. There can be complications as well. I mean, even, yes. you know, it could be that everything goes well, but uh, you have some complications during the healing process. And if your medical history means that you can't have certain kinds of drugs to, to help that healing process along, that could be an even bigger problem down the road. So, yeah, it's very important. And then the actual exam, you're going to be looking through lots of different devices that are going to be measuring how your eyes are uh, receiving light. And it's actually technically mapping out your eyes, the inside of your eyes. Um, there's a, a thing called a corneal topographer. Yes, that's where they type on your eyes, right? No, that's a typographer. Oh, no, the sorry, I need to put my glasses back. Topographer, it actually maps the cornea. So it's it's looking at the actual shape and thickness of the cornea um, and it's to uh, to really determine exactly how the light is behaving once it hits that part of your eye. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the pupillometer, which is uh, another dev- device that's looking specifically at your pupil. I mean, there's not a big surprise there, right? You have a student um, in your eyeball. Yeah. And then the 
there's software, very powerful software, but working behind the scenes that's mapping out your eye so that the surgeon is going to know exactly what sort of, of uh, adjustments they're going to need to make to your cornea in order for it to, um, to direct light the way you need it to be so that you don't have to wear glasses or contact lenses anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty complex stuff. I mean, it's, um, pretty fascinating to see. And also a laser eye surgery, uh, procedure often requires two people, mm-hmm. a surgeon and a, a patient. A, a, well, beyond the patient. Oh. Two people to actually, pr- to, to do the procedure. The surgeon and then there's usually a, uh, an operator who's working on one of the, um, the laser machines. Mm-hmm. And so now we've, now we've talked about the, process where let's say that you've gone through, you've had your eye exam, you've done your medical history, and they've determined you're what is called an ideal candidate. Now, that does not mean you are the perfect person to have had laser eye surgery. Mm -hmm. It just means that you fit those parameters that uh, you don't have anything outlying any of those parameters that would would cause concern. It appears that it'll work out. Yes. Uh, Now is the time where you start to... um, to actually go through the surgery itself, and I, I think I think we can walk through uh, the LASIK uh, process because that's f- still fairly common. I mean, that's that's actually probably one of the most common forms of laser eye surgery out there. But we'll also talk about how the other kinds are a little different. Okay. So, um, so first, when you arrive to get your laser eye surgery done, one thing that's, that happens fairly frequently is that they offer you something to calm your nerves. Yes. Because it turns out when a lot of people, when they're thinking they're going to be laying down on the table with someone shooting laser beams into their eyes, they get a little anxious. I can't imagine why. Actually, that's not the part that makes me anxious, but we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's the part immediately before the laser gets shot into your eye. That would be the part. Yeah, that's the part where it gets all squirmy. Yeah. So And, and yeah, I mean, basically, they're going to set up an appointment when you do the, your, your yeah. pre-op work. I don't think that they actually would take you back. Immediately and go. All right, you look good. Let's go. No, no. It's usually it's usually a day or two between. Yeah. Uh, speaking from my wife's experience, yeah, she went in and had the um, the the work that the pre op work done, and then it was a couple of days later after they had had a chance to really look at the data, and they arranged for the time. And you also have to go there with someone else to drive you home. Yes, because you will not be able to use your eyeballs. Yeah, you, for that. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're going to have some limited uh, uh, eyeball use <laughs> immediately afterward. Can't put your weight on them. Yeah, exactly. Um, use some uh, eye crutches. So <laughs> eye crutches. Um, are those Apple products? Um, <laughs> no, it's not the lowercase i. Oh, e y e. I see. Um, so uh, the next thing they're going to do once you you're Sure, you want to go through the process. <laughs> of course, they also make you sign a waiver saying that you understand that there are things going on uh, where they're going to shoot lasers in your eyeballs, and uh, there are risks involved with that. Yeah, and part of this depends a lot on your cooperation, like staying still. <laughs> and, and not running from the office yeah. screaming. Um, again, I'm just imagining what would happen with me. They, uh, Assuming your, your nerves of steel... Uh, are holding. Are, are holding. They will go ahead and put some uh, topical anesthetic in your eyes. Yes. So this is to numb your eyes mm-hmm. because they will need to touch them. Yep. And uh, and once you're uh, once that started to take effect, you're led into the operating room where you lay down on a table. It's usually a, a padded table, mm-hmm. and uh, they position you so that you're going to be uh, under the machine. It mm-hmm. goes ping, and. Uh, uh, 
and and then they have to uh, well they have to secure your eyelids so that you're not going to be blinking. Yes, because you cannot blink. So they may be using uh, usually a combination of things. There's usually some sort of of tape that's safe to put on your your eyelids mm-hmm. to keep your eyes open. There's also a device that will sit on top uh, of the bottom part and top part of your eyelids to keep those them stationary. Um, this looks a lot like the device that was used in a famous documentary called A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a little freaky if you're the, looking at someone who's getting this done. The eyelid speculum? Yeah. Yeah, it's to hold those eyelids in place because, of course, if you blink while the laser's going, it's going to totally mess up the procedure. So they have to they have to uh, stabilize and, and uh, keep your eyelids from moving. Um, and uh, they also put down a, uh, a ring around your eye that uh, – that stops you from being able to move your eye around. So mm-hmm. you're you're looking directly up or directly straight straight ahead. Yes. Straight ahead is the best way of putting it. Not up as in your eyes are turned up, but looking straight forward. It's just because you're laying on your back, it just happens to be up. And then as they uh, uh the next step is the squiggly part. Are you ready, Chris? Yes, no, but let's do this anyway. Okay, so they they pull out the microkeratome. Yes. Yeah, see they have to they they're gonna put some marks on your cornea, yeah, to identify where it is turning that, a little green. Where they're where they're going to uh, use the uh, microkeratome. Um, basically, when you're dealing with something as sensitive as vision, and and you know the professionals want to do a good job, they're going to ha- want to be as accurate as possible. So they're going to mark your your uh, cornea to make sure that they use the microkeratome right. I don't even want to talk about it. So the microkeratome. I'll be stepping let's, out let's for a glass of water. Is, it's a surgical instrument. Okay, it's a blade, a very thin blade. Meep. And this blade is used to cut a flap in your cornea, which is then pulled back so that the laser can shape the cornea. This is, this is, this is entertaining and painful to watch. This is the part that grosses me out. I'm sorry. Okay, so, Uh, yeah, so they're actually, and this is LASIK. There are other versions of laser eye surgery Uh that do not use this. And some of them don't even use a a microkeratome blade. They have a a, a special laser Mm -hmm. that will cut this flap. But in in LASIK eye surgery, there is a flap that's cut and pulled back so that the laser can start to shape the cornea without that outer layer uh, in place. And, um, And so at this point, the uh, the laser, which is um, called an uh, well, is an eczemer or eximer, e x c i m e r. I actually right. did not look up the pronunciation. Uh, yeah, I haven't uh, seen it. But this is the laser that does the actual shaping. It uh, starts to vaporize mm-hmm. parts of the cornea, and what's doing is it's shooting ultraviolet. Uh, uh, blasts. And the laser is in the ultraviolet range, which means you can't see it. Right, it's outside the range of human sight, um, and what it's doing is it's exciting uh, the m- molecules in the cornea to the point where the molecular bonds break down. So it's actually that's what I talk about when vaporizing. It's not heating the eyeball up. No, it's Mr. actually Bond. a cool laser. I expect you to break down. And when I mean cool laser, I don't mean that it's like super awesome. Although yeah. it is. I mean it doesn't heat. Up the tissue. Now, you remember earlier I mentioned that your cornea has to be 500 microns or greater when they start this procedure. And that's because when they're done using this laser, there has to be uh, between 250 to 300 microns uh, of thickness once they're done. Yeah. 
So there has to be enough for them to leave the proper amount once they're finished. Otherwise, you can't do this. So now now using this laser to vaporize these molecular bonds and to reshape your cornea, that's essentially the same thing on on a grand concept level as grinding uh, a glasses lens yeah. so that's going to bend light the right way. It's the same thing as just we're using lasers and your actual eye to do it, which is pretty phenomenally awesome. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of scary. Um, now, at the end of it, uh, after it might take, I don't know, 17 to 20 seconds to do this. Chris, you could be okay. Per eye. Okay, yeah, per eye. Um, they then replace the flap back down on your eye, and it heals I mean, it sets down in place and is is healing as soon as it touches back down. That is one of the very cool things I think about that. Yeah. Um. They the uh the doctor will also probably put a, a little antibiotic on the flap just to make sure that yeah. there are no bacteria getting right. in there. Yeah, um, but it, but it, it immediately but yeah, starts to to heal, which is pretty phenomenal. Um. The the whole process only takes, like I said, about twenty seconds per eye. Uh, and uh, usually when you're down there, you'll hear people talk about how the doctor told them to look at, say, like a, a blinking red light. Mm-hmm. That red light is not the laser. That's just a light that lets For you to focus. You to fo- yeah, you're supposed to focus on that while this ultraviolet laser is blasting your, your cornea away. Um, and then once the flap comes down, you're usually you're given uh, several different kinds of eye drops bef- before you leave. Uh, there's... Uh, a moisturizing eye drop because mm-hmm. after you get this process done, your eyes are going to have a little bit of difficulty uh, uh, generating the right kind of moisture to keep your eyes comfortable. So you're going to have to actually add eye drops in on a pretty regular basis. In fact, the first couple of days, it's it's like every hour you've got to add eye drops. And then as uh, time goes on, you have to use them less and less frequently. Mm-hmm. And my wife at this point rarely ever uses eye drops. Uh, but for the first year, she was using them on on uh, a fairly regular basis. Although that that schedule changed over time, like after the first three months, it didn't need to be as frequent. Um, and now it's it's rare when she needs them, but occasionally she does. Uh, and then you might also have antibiotic eye drops that you might have to add every now and then. And uh, some places apparently put give you a, a kind of gel that you put on the inside of your lower eyelid so that when you're asleep, it keeps your eye moisturized while you're sleeping. My wife, I don't remember her getting that. Um, I should have asked her before I left the house this morning, but uh, I do not recall her getting that kind of stuff. I do remember the other kinds of eye drops, though. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they, of course, schedule uh, as, you know, a lot of surgical procedures. um, They also schedule regular appointments, even even as as soon as the next day. Yeah, to make um, sure everything's healing properly. Okay. Um, And then gradually, as time goes on, uh, you know, they check less frequently. You know, there'll be a year, uh, checkup, but you know, it's one day and then they'll check the next week and the next month, um, in increasing, increasingly longer periods just to make sure everything's healing the way it's supposed to, just mm-hmm. to make sure that there are, uh, that your eyes are doing what they're supposed to do and you're not suffering any, uh, ill effects from the surgery. Because in the case of, uh, I mean, there, there are times when the, uh, Flap can get a wrinkle in it. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if we're going to get into that. Yeah, that can happen. Things like that. That can cause a little bit of blurry vision and may require a second uh, surgical procedure. Yeah. In order to to get it uh, straightened out, so um, so to speak. Yeah. Um, also, you know, there's a possibility that they may uh, remove too little or too much of uh, the cornea. Yeah. Um, Which, so they have to be. Yeah, they have to be. That's why they're, they want to check. That's why they're doing that whole 
long pre-op section so that they can determine that as precisely as possible to uh, to reduce that risk as much as they can. Mm-hmm. And of course, again, this also depends a lot on the, the patient. You have to be able to lay there and be still while your eye is being held open and lasers are being shot into it after someone's cut a flap in it. It's a little, it's a bit of a challenge for some of us. Um, let's talk really quickly about some of the other kinds of laser eye surgery besides LASIK. Okay. Uh, the, one of the, the precursors to LASIK, and it's still in use in a lot of places, is PRK laser eye surgery, or mm-hmm. photorefractive keratectomy. Wow, oh, I didn't know I was going to be able to say that. In this one, they actually scrape away the outermost layer of the cornea with uh, the laser and then reshape the tissue uh, on the underlying surface of the cornea um, and then they ha- and then you have to allow the the protective layer that was scraped off to grow back so there's actually a longer healing period with PRK than with lasik mm-hmm. they can use that process to uh, to work on nearsightedness and astigmatism at the same time however yep. which is nice yep and uh, then there's lasek with an E, the LASIK we're talking about is with an I, mm-hmm. uh, but LASIK is a, a slightly more advanced version of PRK that uses um, uh, alcohol and solution to soften and then remove the epithelium, which is that protective layer, that almost layer of the cornea. Yeah, LASIK is uh, laser epithelial keratotomeliosis. Yeah. I think yep. I didn't mangle that terribly. Yep. And then there's EpiLASIK, mm-hmm. which is the modified version of that that uses a separator so that the uh, because in in the the tra- traditional LASIK you're actually removing the epithelium entirely and uh, epilasik you're creating a separator so that you preserve that epithelium and then replace it on the eye so it's like you take the cover off fiddle around a bit and put the cover back on uh, it's probably I bet the eye surgeons out there just love me for saying that mm. um, there's LTK or laser thermokeratoplasty. Mm. Uh, now that sounds like fun. It's used mainly, mainly for farsightedness and astigmatism. And in this case, they actually are using heat. They're using the heat of a laser beam to shrink and reshape the cornea rather than removing it. So they're actually reshaping it. They're pushing the stuff around as opposed to cutting it away. Um, and it's supposedly a, a much faster healing process than most other kinds of corrective surgery. And it's uh, generally considered to be less invasive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It's uh, that's an interesting approach. There's also a we, there's a custom view LASIK, conventional intralasic, custom view intralasic. These are all variations on the basic LASIK approach. Mm-hmm. Basic LASIK. And there are of course complications with some of these. Uh, we mentioned some before. I've I've known people to undergo LASIK and complain of some problems with night vision where they see halos. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of that where. Everyone looks like Master Chief. <laughs> no. No. Um, basically, yeah, when you look at a light source, it looks like it has a, a ring shimmering it. circle yeah. around it. Yeah, yeah. Especially things for like if you're driving at night and you'll notice you know, halos around headlights. Yeah. Things like that. Or you're um, sensitive to bright light. Yeah. Yeah, your light sensitivity, especially for the first few days, it's probably going to be a little uh, a little rough. But for some people, it just it stays that way. So like my wife, she wears sunglasses a lot more frequently than she used to. Mm-hmm. And uh, for for some people, too, I've heard that uh, in some cases, uh, it is possible for your eyes basically to slowly regress to where they were before. Um, I don't know exactly why that is. You know, I have read reports that that it happens. Um, but, in, in, you know, some people who have, in, you know, enjoyed 
the benefits of the surgery for years, and then there are others who gradually return to uh, to the way they were before. Yeah. I, I'm sure that it probably, since since part of the cornea has been removed, I would imagine that it's probably not as uh, drastic a change as it was. But I've I've read that 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 can happen. I would imagine if you have some sort of condition that continues to change the shape of your eyeball, that would be yeah, that would be a big problem because it would, the focal point would constantly be changing then or gradually be changing. Yes. Well, I think that wraps up this discussion about laser eye surgery, which uh, was a uh, it was interesting. I mean, it's an interesting concept. It's also, I agree, it's a little squirmy. You know, there I don't like the whole idea of people messing with my eyeballs. Well, not a lot of people fall into that category, and it's not just us. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I have heard very positive things about these eye surgeries, yeah. and you know, if it's something that sounds sounds good to you, now you know a little bit more about how it works. Yep. Um, and here's the other thing that's kind of cool. Again, if you go to a reputable clinic, they're going to actually explain how this works to you mm-hmm. in very simple terms because they want to make sure that, you know, part of being an ideal candidate is being the kind of candidate that's not going to freak out when you're on the table. That rules me out. Darn tootin'. All right, guys. Well, if you have any uh, uh, anything you would like us to talk about, any topics you think would be particularly interesting, you can let us know. Shoot us an email. That address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or you can let us know on Twitter and Facebook. Our handle there is techstuffhsw. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We all can't help but wonder what adventure lies just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a new 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is your always-updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Google Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. 
That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep.